Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, that went way further down than I wanted. <laughs> well, we're going to be continuing our series, uh, which we are calling Jesus for Everyone. We're going to be where we've been overviewing um, the book of Luke and the book of Acts um, and reading them as one uh, long narrative, because that's what they are. That As Luke wrote them, he wrote them to be intended to be uh, two parts of the same story. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 7 in, in a little bit. We're going down, we'll be starting at verse 36, but I wanted to start uh, here and telling you that recently I was, um, recently I was at Costco. I know that a lot of my stories start at Costco, but it is where I spend a significant amount of time. Um, but I was in Costco, and as I was in the checkout stand, there the employee that I was interacting with suddenly had a confused look on his face. And he looked up, nose in the air, and began to sniff. And then he looked at me, and there was kind of a smile on his face, and he said, do you, do you smell that? He said, it smells like a really good barbecue restaurant. And at that point, there was joy that hit my heart, and I was able to tell him, oh, that's me. Um, I, I was smoking some meat today and then made a trip over here to Costco. And just like, it smells really good. <laughs> I've, I've got to say that one of uh, the best compliments that Larissa has ever given to me is when she came, she gave me a hug and looked right into my eyes and said, your beard smells like bacon. <laughs> I, I have never felt so manly in my life to hear those words together, your beard smells like bacon. There, there is something about the aroma of a barbecue. There, there is something that is so inviting and enticing about, about the, the smell of, of meat being smoked. Uh, you know, as a family, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll spend our evenings by getting on our bikes and taking a bicycle ride around the neighborhood. And inevitably, there will be one house that we are biking by and you get a whiff of the dinner that they're making. And there's just something so enticing and inviting and joyful about just catching a whiff of that dinner and then trying to discern, like, what is that? What are they making? And you just have a discussion about what, what was for dinner and then it kind of even ignites your own imagination about, about what you might make for dinner together. I mean, just imagine, even right now in this space, right, like walking by a bakery and, and getting the whiff of, of the fresh bread being made, or the pastries that are, that are there. It just Again, there's something just so great about the aroma of food. There's something so warm and inviting and comforting. Like, you don't even have to eat the food. There's just something about the aroma of it that can bring joy to our hearts. In, in Scripture you will see that the Lord describes our worship or our offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
the imagery of a pleasing scent is identified with the Lord delighting in the worship of his people. Isn't there something so tangible about that? You just, right now, and maybe in our own eyes, in our own imagination, we can even just picture the scene there, the, the priests bringing an offering before the Lord, and there's something about that billow of smoke that is rising up into the air that is so pungent in imagery, that this idea that that is our worship, that that is our prayer, those are our offerings rising up before the Lord. And something about His Spirit, His presence mingling, interacting with our worship and our offering being brought before Him. As I think about that, I think about the priests and them spending the days in the temple, them spending their days in the sanctuary and bringing these offerings before the Lord. And that, as the day ends and they head back home, that that smell, the smell of the offerings being brought before the Lord stays with them for the rest of the day. Their beards, their skin, their clothes, smelling like the offerings before the Lord. And I think that we can be even so audacious to say that it's almost as if that they and the Lord share the same aroma. It's like that they were interacting with the same scent all day long. That that pleasing aroma that has risen up before the Lord, that, that they share that same scent. And so everywhere that they go, that as people get a whiff of their clothes and their beards, that, that pungent smell of that offering, they carry that everywhere that they go for the rest of the day. And that they would be this tangible reminder as they walk around their towns and their neighborhoods into their homes, that as people get a whiff of them coming into the room, it is a reminder that the, Lord, that the Lord delights in his people. They become this tangible representation that the Lord delights in the pure offerings of his people. Let's read Luke chapter 7, and as we do, let me just give you this. The, the, the shock here that verberates through this story is that it is an immoral woman and not the Pharisee, a religious leader of the day, that brings a pleasing offering or aroma before the Lord. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him. 
So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, from, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke tells us that Jesus is sitting at the table, and you could actually, you, yes, you can translate it that he was reclining at the table. The position that he's likely in is that he, he has his left arm here on maybe cushioning is, is there on the floor, and his right hand is, is there to, to eat the food that's there at the table. And, and likely because of that, that position, his feet are, are tucked behind him. He's sitting there at this table with, with Simon the Pharisee. And listen, let's not pass over just how the simplicity of the statement at the opening of this passage. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Jesus was asked to have dinner, so Jesus went. And I don't want to lose sight of just the simplicity of this. Jesus was asked over for dinner. So Jesus said yes. That was it. I don't want to lose sight just how much God longs to dwell with us. He just wants to be with us. To sit in our homes. To be at our tables. That's it. Look, I know I've said it, I love the nuance and the complexity of Scripture. I love getting down, like just digging really deep into the theology that's being presented and the stories that Luke is telling us. But I just want to sit here right at the, the surface level because I think that there's, there actually is a whole lot of depth behind that. It, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, would you come over for dinner? So Jesus went. So Jesus went. It was part of our nighttime routine with the boys. Like I shared before, we, I, I lay down in their beds and I, I read books with them and um, pray a blessing over them and then leave for the night. And there are these moments right now, especially with our six-year-old Tiago, where I'm about to get up to leave from the bed and he'll just cling on to my neck. And he'll say, I want you to stay here all night. Don't leave me. And it's just this open, pure, vulnerable 
request. That's it. That's the motivation. I just want you to be here. I just, I just want you to be present. I just want you to stay here in this bed with me. Would you just stay? And I gladly linger. I gladly stay. You know that in the book of Exodus, when God gives instruction for the people to build the sanctuary, to build the tent of meeting, he gives us a pure, open, honest, vulnerable motivation. He says this, tell the people to build a sanctuary so I can live with them. I just want you to imagine God clinging to your neck and saying, I just want you to stay here. Don't leave. I, I just want to sit with you. I just want to know you. Like in, in, my, in my imagination, the way that I could see this story playing out is that Simon is, is walking through the town and he sees Jesus and he comes up to him and he just says, Jesus, would you come over? And then Jesus interrupts him. Then Simon doesn't even get to finish the sentence. Jesus, would you come over? Yes. Oh, no, no, what I was going to say is, would you come over to my house? No, yes, I, I know what you were going to say. You were going to get, you, yes. Absolutely, I want to come over to your house for dinner. That, you know that when Luke writes this, he doesn't give us any other motivation from, from Simon's heart. All that we can gather is Simon wants to have Jesus over for dinner. And do you know what? For Jesus, that's enough. That's all the motivation he needs. Yeah, I'll come over for dinner. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to sit with you. I'd love to be at your dinner table. I'd love to just sit and do nothing with you. And so Jesus goes to his house. Again, I can imagine him walking into the house, stepping in through the door, and there Simon the Pharisee has, maybe he or maybe a house servant has prepared a meal. The smoke filling the room of the dinner that he's made. And there, God in flesh walks into the house, walking through the smoke of the fellowship offering that's being presented to him. Gladly. Just delighting to sit at that table with him. And then here's where things get wild. Here's where things get absolutely crazy. Like I mentioned earlier, is the position that Jesus is likely in is that he's sitting here with elbow down on the, the, the floor or on a cushion and right hand there and feet tucked behind him. Commentators think that maybe his, his back was to the door and then just so suddenly there's a woman that is standing behind Jesus and then falls to her knees face down, just eyes, face flooding with tears there at his feet. How did she get there? How did she end up there? 
And if you think about it, in our culture, we typically have closed doors, <laughs> locked doors. She wasn't one of the dinner guests. But what Luke tells us is that she heard that Jesus was over at the house for dinner, so she went. Can you imagine? You're hosting a dinner party. You're sitting around the table with one another. And then suddenly, a woman is standing behind one of your guests. <laughs> I... I have, I have a desire that I have never acted out upon, and someday soon I will. This desire, well, it played out yesterday, and I, I, didn't, I didn't follow through on what I've, what I've always wanted to do. We were down yesterday afternoon at Savita Park with the boys, and, and they're hanging out, they're playing together, and then at one point I turned to Larissa and said, hey, I'm going to go walk down um, over towards the restrooms, and as I'm walking there, there was this big party that was happening off to the side. And I looked at the crowd that was there, and I saw that what they were cooking, I saw the, the, the barbecue that was there, and I just had this thought. They look around my age. Hey, there's actually a lot of Mexicans that are in there. Oh, look, that guy's wearing a Dodger hat. I bet you I would fit in. <laughs> I, I just have this desire to crash a party. To just, like, there's a big party that's happening, and I just show up, and I just pretend to be one of the cousins. Because can I tell you, typically in a Mexican gathering, you, you find out that there are people there that you're related to, and you didn't know for years upon years. You interact with one another and go, oh, we're cousins? I didn't know that. <laughs> Good to meet you. <laughs> I just have this... I do, I have this desire. Maybe someday one of you will join me and we'll just crash a party together. Because you're like, oh yeah, we, we know Albert. Okay. <laughs> the social awkwardness, the common etiquette, that wasn't going to dissuade her. She heard that Jesus was in the house. And maybe, maybe more in a, in a Jewish culture with, with maybe doors a little bit more open and, and hospitality being such a significant value that it wasn't as awkward as we might imagine within our culture of someone just arriving within the house and barging in and, and weeping and pouring out perfume on someone's feet. Maybe that was just a normal scene within Jewish culture. I don't know. But, but my hunch is that what Luke is highlighting is that her passion for Jesus was not going to be dissuaded by the opinions of people. She just wanted to show love for Jesus. And no one was going to stop her from doing that. And think about it again. The reason I've been emphasizing the fact that here's Jesus in this posture, sitting at the table with feet tucked behind him, is that when she comes into the room, it's likely that she's seeing the back of Jesus. But there's something about the scene where she comes in and she is able to identify that that is Jesus. 
We don't know how. We don't know why she's able to identify that that's Jesus, but she goes directly to him. Maybe, maybe it's just the way that everyone's eyes are locked in on this guest. Maybe it's as she walks in and she hears his voice and just the weight of authority and grace and love and his power is behind his words as he's interacting with people. Or maybe it was because earlier in the week she saw, as she was someone on the fringe of the crowds, she saw Jesus. And she saw him from a distance. But the reason I I, want to bring that up is to say that there were moments, unknown, mysterious, hidden moments before this one that finally led led her to a place where she falls down at the feet of Jesus. And that's our own story. That we can't maybe fully identify when it was. But Jesus has been revealing himself to us. There are these breadcrumbs along the way that he's been dropping making himself known to us, making appearances to us, so that someday we might get to this point fully broken, face down in in front of him or behind him at his feet, pouring out all that we are and all that we have. Something led her to this moment. And I've got to believe that it was the grace and the sovereignty of God that was constantly revealing himself to her so that she might finally arrive in this point where she would pour out all that she has at the feet of Jesus. Now, listen. This moment is a stunning scene. Let's dive into her description a bit more. She's described as an immoral woman of the town. What Luke is very likely describing to us is that this woman was a prostitute. Her introduction to us, her defining adjective is immoral. (laughs) Immoral. That's the defining word over her life. More than that, if it's true that she's a prostitute, then this jar of perfume was likely part of her vocation. That that this perfume was an offering brought to other men. It was an aroma that brought them pleasure. If she is or she isn't a prostitute, either way, the letting down of her hair in public was nothing any decent woman would have done. It's a scandalous scene. And Simon sees this moment. The religious leader of the town, he sees this moment. A woman completely just 
undone, broken, crying, just tears flooding her eyes, like just flooding out of her eyes, and she's there at the feet of Jesus. I'd like to believe that if we were in this, in this space, that if we were having, let's say, having dinner together in the fellowship center, imagine, and Jesus is there with us, and someone comes barging into that space and falls down at the feet of Jesus, weeping, weeping, washing his feet with, with their tears, drying his feet with their hair, that there wouldn't be a dry eye in the room. I think all of us would be in a space where we would just look at that and just think, oh my goodness, this is the most beautiful scene that we have ever been witness to. But Simon's response is disgust. His response is offense. He looks at this scene, and, 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 and this, not only is he offended, but he thinks that God would be offended too. Do you see his response? He says, if this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman this is. He thinks that he's in the right and that God would be offended by this woman. And listen, it isn't that Jesus is unaware of her sins. Jesus knows her sins quite well. Actually, the description here by Luke is pretty awkward when you dive into it. He, he looks at her and he says, this woman who has uh, this woman who has sinned, let me actually get the right wording on this. He says, I tell you her sins, and then he says, and they are many, have been forgiven. Can you imagine being the woman in that moment? I, I can imagine being that woman in that moment and looking up at Jesus and saying, gee, thanks, you had to throw in, and they are many? You could have, Jesus, you could have just said, her sins have been forgiven, but you, you all right, you, like, you have to say her sins, and man, there are a lot of them have been forgiven. God knows full well her rap sheet. He knows full well all that she has done. Here's the difference. The eyes of the religious leader see this woman's immorality. The eyes of Jesus see her love. She loves, Jesus says, because she's been forgiven. Listen, listen to Michael Card, a commentator on the Gospel of Luke. He, speaking of Simon, was blind to her act of repentance and love and and saw instead a serious sin. Jesus, who loves stubborn Simon as much as he loves the woman, longs for him to really see her. Not as a category. Not as a sinner. But simply as a person who, above all, needs to be loved and forgiven. 
Simon's eyes are on her failure. She hasn't kept the law. She's acted with great indecency and immorality and scandal. You know what Jesus sees? He sees that her eyes are on him. And that's what matters. She sees Jesus. And here's the cunningness of Luke's storytelling. You know what he does? He highlights for us that Jesus then uses her act of love to teach the religious leader. You know what Luke is doing in this story? He's showing us that the lost sheep here is Simon. He's, he's showing, you know who, who he's describing here as the sinner that is in need of salvation? The religious leader. What's Luke doing here for us is he's showing us that the immoral woman has become the expert and the Pharisee has become the student. She understands what Jesus has been teaching. The kingdom of God is marked by love and forgiveness. And the cunningness of Luke's storytelling is to persuade us to see ourselves as Simon. Will we really understand and embrace just how much God longs to show his loving kindness? Will our hearts turn to celebration when lost and broken people are in proximity of Jesus? Jesus is pursuing Simon in this story in hopes that Simon will love Jesus with the same ferocity that this woman loves Jesus with. He wants Simon to see that he is in need of the same level of grace and forgiveness. He needs to be saved just like this woman needs to be saved. And so that's why Jesus points out to Simon three different instances with the exact same statement. You didn't wash my feet. She did. Um, you didn't greet me with a kiss. She has. You didn't anoint my, you didn't anoint me. She has. Jesus is doing this because he longs for Simon to love him. Jesus wants the religious leader to act like this immoral woman. And, and I, the story is, I think, for us to stop and to ponder and to reflect. We, the religious ones, to stop and say, God, have I grown too familiar with you? And by that I mean, have we lost the wonder and awe 
of your loving kindness. I think it's for those of us that might stop and read something like in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus is speaking to the church and he says, I, I, I've seen your good deeds. I, I've seen your sound doctrine. I've seen your patient endurance. But you forgot your first love. You don't love me and you don't love others like you once did. And I think that that's the challenging place that we often need to revisit is to say, God, can I stop and remember that place where it was just about you? Where I just wanted to be in proximity of you. Where, where my heart was just filled with passion and desire to be with you. To know you, to sit with you. I want that kind of a love to stir within me again. A kind of love where I would fall face down in front of you and give all that I have and all that I am just, just as an act of love and devotion. I just want to love you, Jesus. I think for those of you that have, have kiddos in the house, you know, one of the ways that you, could, you can get their, their attention in an instant would be to tell their birth story. Our kids love hearing about their birth story. Our kids love hearing about it. Our kids would tell them about justice and Larissa being in labor for 26 hours and just his patience to, to, to enter into the world. And then there's Tiago, and Larissa almost had him on the 805 freeway because he was just so determined to come into the world. Right? Just, there's just something so fun about hearing the story of our birth. I say that because maybe the simple, simple application of this morning as we look at this story is to stop and to remember our birth story. Do you remember that first moment that you fell at the feet of Jesus? Do you remember that moment of surrender? Do you remember the passion that beat within your heart for Jesus? Remember the joy? Remember the excitement? You remember how that was the best thing that has ever happened to you and you wanted to share it with everyone around you? This past week, I've, I've intentionally been listening to an old Michael W. Smith song. I won't sing it to you, but I'll read you some of the lyrics. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. 
I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire and no one else will do. Nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find the way. Bring me back to you. You're all I want. You are all that I have ever needed. May that kind of passion fill our bones again. Jesus, it's you. You're my hope. You're my desire. You're the one that my heart longs for. And I will barge into a party filled with people and fall at your feet and pour out all that I have. Because it's about you. It's about you. May our blood pump with that same kind of passion again. May just the simplicity of that fill our days this week. Jesus, would you come over to our house for dinner? We just want to sit with you. We just again want to cling to your neck and say, don't leave. Don't leave. Spend all day here with me. You're it, Jesus. You're it. You're our desire. Maybe the simple application for you today is to tell someone your birth story. Tell someone about that moment that you fell at the feet of Jesus. And feel those feelings again. Tell them what was happening in your heart and in your mind, in your soul. What took place within you that moment that you surrendered it all to Jesus? And maybe for some in this room, maybe the point of application is this, fall down at the feet of Jesus for the first time. Come to a place where you're just so overwhelmed by his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his kindness. Know his desire for you. Fall down at the feet of Jesus. The worship team would come back up. I want to close with this thought. Jesus considers her perfume as an anointing. It's just how incredible of a statement. Come on now. He considers her perfume as anointing. She, she's right now in this moment taking on the role of a priest and an, or an elder in the church. She's anointing someone. And what Jesus is doing there in this moment is that he is teaching us the significance, the worth, the value of every person that is a part of the body of believers. He's not only forgiving her, but he is endowing her 
with, with worth and value and significance and authority in the body of believers. He's looking at her and he is saying, she is anointing me. Listen, I say all that to say that if you've ever felt that what you have have to bring to Jesus is insignificant, if you ever, ever thought about your own worth and value and significance, you look at the story of this woman and realize that she brings a perfume that was likely used for an immoral vocation. And when she pours it at the feet of Jesus, he considers it the best gift ever. Jesus just wants you. And whatever you have to offer, it's the best gift ever. Now listen to this. The rest of the day, her and Jesus are going to smell the same. This perfume is all up in her hair. <laughs> and it's all over the feet of Jesus. And for the rest of the day, if people are around Jesus and around her, they're going to recognize this. They have the same aroma about them. I just, I just want to be in proximity of Jesus like that. That, that our worship is just, just so pure and vulnerable and honest. We would we come before him and just say, I don't, I don't have much, but whatever I have, I give to you. And I'm going to believe that it's going to be a sweet, sweet aroma to you. And there's going to be something transformative that happens in that moment where I lay down all that I have that I believe that as we lay down all that we have at the feet of Jesus, there's something so dynamic about that place of worship that we would leave this space smelling like Jesus. <laughs> so that as people would interact with us, the statement would essentially be, you have the same aroma as God. you have the same aroma as Jesus. And what causes that is just raw, unfiltered, full worship. God, all that I have and all that I am is yours. We're going to enter into song together and let me just make this invitation. Listen, if you would like someone to pray with you this morning, I, I would love to do that. If, if you're in the space and you're just thinking, you know what, I, I would love to make a step of, of following Jesus. Maybe the, 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 what has provoked your heart is a, a space where you just say, I, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to pour out all that I have, all that I am and all that I have at his feet. I'd love to pray with you. If you're looking to have someone else pray with you this morning over just whatever you might be facing, um, Jim McHoney, I know we've, we've chatted uh, the past few weeks about 
uh, just having availability to pray with people. If, I know you'd love to make yourself available um, to pray for others. And Again, it would just be this simple place this morning to once again fall at the feet of Jesus. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Whatever you have, lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Let's enter into worship together.